With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to State of the Nation on today's News Talk with myself, Brian McLean, and Steve Hook. We're live from Central Texas and New Jersey, respectively. Visit us on the web at tntradio.live. Hey, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will be broadcasting from various locations throughout London. So help us light that fuse for freedom at today's News Talk TNT. Steve, great to see you. Happy Friday, my friend, TGIF. Yeah, baby, it's a casual Friday. I see we, we both got the memo. Uh, wearing our uh, team colors. It's good to be with you. And man, I got to tell you, Hesh, uh, yesterday, <laughs> what a what a big news day. And oh a lot gosh. of it, this special report dropped while we were on the air. So I was just chomping at the bit to get on the air today to discuss that and a whole bunch of other stuff. But it's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, likewise. And then, of course, we had the Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview come Oof. out about an hour after we left the microphones yesterday. And I was immediately back in the fray, even while I was trying to eat dinner between shows. I was trying to cram in as much of that as I could. It was a, it's a long interview, but I love a long-form uh, discussion. Seems like we never get that from uh, very many American politicians. So, uh, all right, let me. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to what you were mentioning there because I've been chomping at the bit the bit about this one too. Special Counsel Robert Hur has decided not to prosecute President Joe Biden despite there being evidence that the president willfully retained and disclosed classified materials in the case. He said, our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. Her added that the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and cites factors relating to Biden's memory. In particular, Her's report claimed, quote, Biden's memory was significantly limited, end quote, during his 2023 interviews with the special counsel. He said, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview of him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, end quote, um, which is interesting because I was just watching Biden say, yeah, I'm all those things except for the poor memory part. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, this is pretty pretty interesting stuff here. One more thing. It, in one point of the report, her documents a conversation that Biden had with ghostwriter one Mark Zoenser uh, to work on a memoir about his time in office. Reporting this as part of the case, her wrote that, quote, Biden's memory also appeared to have significant limitations, both at the time he spoke to Zoenser in 2017, as evidenced by their recorded conversations, and today, as evidenced by his recorded interview with our office. So, you know, um, he's too, I think what they're saying here is that he's too old and senile, and uh, if I may be a little bit mean here, stupid to stand stand trial, do courts, uh, write a memoir, but don't worry, 
He's fine as a president of the United States. Yeah, it's uh, well. Uh, let me just. Uh, I, I, there's so much to say about it, uh, but I'll just say this: that uh, he knowingly and uh, willfully retained and disclosed. They never said that about uh, Trump. They did say he knowingly retained them. Big difference was Trump was living with 24-7 Secret Service. Uh, all of the uh, documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago, even the ones found in the bathroom, were kept in a locked room, uh, and they were under guard. Uh, you know, I'll tell you something, Hesher. What drives me so nuts about this story, beyond the obvious that, he, yes, he's Gee, he's cognitively gone. Who would have thunk it? We've known that for a long time. In the last week, he said uh, he talked to Francois Mitterrand. Then he mentioned Hel uh, Helmut Kohl, Chancellor of Germany, who died in 2017. Uh, then he called uh, the president of Mexico uh, a CC. That, of course, is the president of Egypt. That's just three in the last four days. And those were all gaffes before this came out. So this report kind of comes out and underscores all of that. Uh, but what drives me nuts is anyone, and I mean anyone, that tries to say that there is not a blatant and obvious two-tiered system of justice. They can tell themselves that all they want, but I don't believe it. Bag of cocaine found in the White House. Nothing happens to it. Hillary Clinton destroys congressionally subpoenaed hard drives, laptops, Blackberries, and bleach bits her hard drives and uses physical... Uh, sledgehammers and metal grinders to shred all the other stuff while they're under subpoena. Nothing to see here. Um, it's just, and there's, there, it goes on. Russia, 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 the Hunter laptop. And then somebody has the, the, the gall to look us in the face and say, oh, that's just, that's just Republican talking points. Well, here's the fact. It's a two-tiered system of justice, and everyone sees it, and the world is laughing at us right now because of our cognitively gone, lifelong grifter of a president. I just, I, I'm disgusted by it. Uh, I am happy. To, well, I don't know about you, Hash, but one thing I was kind of uh, a little bit surprised to see, maybe it's because they know that the, the goose is cooked, and that is the media is turning the heat up now. Uh and now we know what Gavin Newsom, why he's been doing this ghost campaign for so damn long. This is exactly why Gavin Newsom has been doing that, because this was about to come out. And now we've seen it. Uh, yeah, this campaign's not looking so hot right now. Hey, don't miss no. out on a thing. Be sure to download the TNT app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen to us live anytime, anywhere or Memorex if you want. You can go into the podcast archive there. You can even watch the video from this app. It's amazing. It's available to download right now and keeping you up to speed on TNT. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, with regards to Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, I've been watching the the view numbers on the uh, YouTube posts. Very interesting. Uh, woke up this morning and I've I've even got a researcher uh, minding it for me while I'm on the show and while I'm show prepping and I'm getting updates. Uh, I'm seeing uh, conversations. I can't quite prove this yet, but I'm seeing conversations that uh, early this morning it was up to 49 million views, uh, and then all of a sudden it looks like it changed to 6.6 .6 million views. 
and currently on Tucker's, uh, one of his primary YouTube channels, his primary YouTube channel, it sits at about 1.19 million. So I'm wondering, uh, <laughs> is YouTube editing the view count? Because uh, there's a huge interest in this. A lot of co the comments are largely positive. People from all over the world are watching it. And last night I did a Google search um, and I simply typed in this, Tucker Putin. Now, Here's the results I got. I got results from BBC, CNN, NBC, ABC, NYT, WAPO, AP, Reuters, Politico, CBC, Variety, Axios, uh, Rolling Stone, Wired, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal, and on and on. There was not one hit that led to Tucker's website, his X.com page, or his YouTube upload. David Grasso is an independent journalist, commentator, and serial entrepreneur, and he's joining us now to add his analysis on Tucker's interview with Putin. David, welcome back to State of the Nation. What are you looking at with regards to this long-form interview with President Putin of Russia and Tucker Carlson? Well, I'm mad at you both, because when I got booked this interview, I sat down and watched the entire thing in one sitting, and I feel like my <laughs> brain has turned into mush. I don't think we're meant to sit there and watch a movie with, you know, a quasi-dictator who has a spotty record, you know, to give his own little history lesson on why Ukraine is Russia. The first half of the interview was basically a throw, right? So if you are going to watch it, and if you're going to sit down, and I do highly recommend it because it is historical, right? Make sure you go to the second half. This whole thing about how, you know, in the 800s, how the ethnogenesis of the Russians is wildly uninteresting. To and Tucker even comes out and said that he thought that just Putin was filibustering. And Tucker has even admitted in his comments that, you know, Putin is someone who has been surrounded by yes men for so long that he's really not used to journalists anymore. So that's why we got a two hour and seven minute interview. Regarding your view count, well, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, are notoriously bad when it comes to view count. Obviously, the the episode, the interview is very viewed. It's very much of interest. But yeah, it probably didn't get as many views as uh, the counter told you yesterday. I noticed that as well. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's going on with that. What are these algorithms trying to do here with the numbers? Because I mean, you know, let's be frank, we've seen them do this to a lot of interviews that were very big, um, you know, shadow banned, or they'll take off, you know, they'll they'll take off the uh, the like count or the dislike count if it's highly disliked, you know, so they definitely game those things. Well, I think, you know, we have to focus on the facts here. I think there's no problem on its face with going and interviewing anyone. Um, I would not personally interview Putin, not because of, you know, the current, you know, happenstance or Tucker Carlson or anything. Putin is very basic, right? He comes into power in 2000. Basically, he came into power because everyone was worried that they go after Boris Yeltsin. When the Russian economy was being privatized, it was mostly given away to lackeys that are now known as the oligarchs and they're billionaires. Really fundamentally, the oligarchs own more, way more than half of the economy. When you leave Moscow, it's worse than a third world country. And the average Russian male dies in his 50s about homes. You're talking about a country that is experiencing a great deal of issues. And a lot of it has to do with its transition from a communist command and control economy to a so-called free market economy, which was not done very well. This all happened after, of course, the fall of communism and the rest of the Eastern European countries. Nearly all of them did it well. The two worst ones, well, the three worst ones, let's throw in Belarus, Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine also has oligarchs, corruption problems, et cetera, if we're being intellectually honest about all this. So we have to really look at the spot. And Russia is really far worse than Ukraine. And Putin has done an excellent job 
of keeping the hands of money in the hands of the oligarchs and his inner circle. And in the end, Russia is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. No matter what you think about shadow banning, Tucker Carlson, you know, whether, you know, Putin, the, Putin's uh, spokesperson said that they did granted an interview to Tucker Carlson because they thought he would be more sympathetic. Whether that actually happened or not is up to individual interpretation. Uh, I am not a fan of Tucker Carlson. I am a fan of him asking Putin to release the Wall Street Journal reporter. And I thought that was a stand up act on his part. Yeah. Uh, hey, David, it's good to see you, my friend. Um yeah, I agree. A lot of the interview was kind of long-winded and just kind of like, okay. And, you know, that's what you're going to get. And but, but what I liked about that, to be honest with you, was that it showed that Tucker didn't do any editing. I mean, he just said, here's the interview. What you see is what you get. But there were some nuggets in there. And there were some nuggets in there that I think are worth paying attention to. Typic uh, namely, the uh, when he was asking about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Let me just say this from my own perspective. I don't think... For all the money in the world that Russia blew up their own pipeline. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. It makes zero sense that they would do it. It doesn't make any uh, global strategic sense. It doesn't make financial sense. Now, he was kind of hedging his bets on who did it, but Putin made it abundantly clear that he knew who did it. And he goes, well, obviously you. And then Tucker had a nice little laugh and said, well, I was busy that day. They both both chuckled a little bit. And then he said, you better look at the CIA. And you know what it is, uh, David? Many Americans, and probably this number is growing, have zero faith in our intelligence agencies now. And they have zero faith for a very good reason. Because whether you love Trump or loathe Trump, they did him dirty. There's no question that they did him dirty. Oh, I was just mentioning to Hesher before we came, before you came on the air. Cocaine in the White House, they have no idea where it came from. None. Uh, Hillary Clinton smashes up all of her stuff that's under congressional opinion. Uh, no, no reasonable uh, prosecutor would press charges. Uh, let's talk about the Hunter laptop. They went out of their way to bury that. Then they had 51 ex-spooks say this is total. This looks. This is a, a earmark of, of of Russian disinformation. When every single one of them knew at the time that it was that it was a legit laptop. So when Putin says. Well, the CIA knows an awful lot about Nord Stream 2. It's hard not to believe it because we've seen what they've done to their own government. And again, Russia was making money off that uh, through selling LNG and 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 uh, and crude uh, to Europe, and that was blown up. And then they said, "Well, Russia did it." Uh, that that was really I don't know about you, Hesh, but that was about the most. Uh, interesting part of the entire interview, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I thought so. Very interesting. I, I, you know, and, and it's fine. You know, I'm not even going to sit here and really even retort all of that because we can sit here and try to hash it out. Politics is a lot like religion. Everyone has yeah. their individual worldviews. And I understand the Nord Stream pipeline. And yeah, it's likely that pro-Ukrainian factions helped by so-and-so probably blew that up and it was a huge co2 emission release and the swedish investigation was inconclusive and all of that but let's focus on the maps right it's like when we focus on human health we have to focus on are you exercising are you eating are you sleeping right russia is a corrupt dictatorship many of the things that putin said might be insightful or interesting to an audience but in the end he's a murderous dictator so, yeah, of course, he, every uh, broken clock is right twice a day. 
That doesn't mean we should trust his little made up ethnogenesis story about the Russians, whether his he's always been pro peace. That seems like a bunch of baloney to me. So the same way you view certain things that the U.S. perspective says it's baloney, I think if we were to do a baloney meter, it's much higher with Putin than it is with our own people. Interesting. Um, I, I, I tend to disagree with you on that. I'll respectfully disagree with you on that. And one example that was brought to the show last week, and, you know, I, I hate to drop a I disagree and then tell you we're out of time, and I'm not trying to do that to you on purpose. <laughs> no, but we, okay. are, <laughs> we are, You're we wrong, are a little short, we are a little short on time. <laughs> but our friends David and Stacy last week flagged up an interesting statistic. They said that in, I think it was the year 2022 or 2023, Russia jailed 400 citizens for social media media posts and the EU uh, by comparison um, jailed almost 4,000 citizens for wrong think on social media so I don't know I thought I'd throw that one out there you can give us a brief comment but we do have to let you go you know I think like anything else everything is muddy but again focus on the big picture the European countries are better countries than Russia. We are a better country than Russia. We all mess up. No one's perfect, as Steve pointed out. But that doesn't mean that Putin is a good messenger for uh, this alternative worldview. It is an illegitimate worldview. All right. All right. You could probably say the same about the little green man in uh, in Ukraine, though, because he's shutting <laughs> down churches, shutting down democracy, caused, you know, six million of his people to be dead. Uh, six wait was that six i don't know half a million it's it's insane um not David, six million uh, half a million yeah, half a million sorry six million uh, more was the holocaust I mean, yeah yeah you know a, yeah, yeah we're we're work we're yeah and yeah we're working something different here that's for sure all right well david we're very uh always very pleased to have you here and appreciate your perspective uh david grasso right here on state of the nation at today's news talk tnt tnt's steve malsberg if a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers, what, what was was the duty of the president to do. And then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted. The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that uh, that Trump used. Steve Malsberg on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number 4MySay. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, so the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has partnered with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and 4-H to develop the Junior Disease Detectives, Operation Outbreak. Now, this is a graphic novel intended to educate youth audiences about variant flu and the real disease detective work conducted by public and animal health experts 
when outbreaks of infectious disease occur. Now, this graphic, uh, the graphic novel follows a group of four teenage 4-H members who participate in a state agricultural fair and later attend a CDC's disease detective camp in Atlanta. Uh, when one of the boys becomes sick following the fair, the rest of the group use their newly acquired disease detective knowledge to help a team of public and animal experts help solve the mystery. Joining us now at State of the Nation to talk about this is independent journalist Mark Anderson. Mark, welcome back to SOTN. Tell us about this CDC publication targeting youth with dangerous virus vaccine propaganda. Well, it has all the makings, Brian, of a PSYOP. Uh, just for instance, the back cover shows a vortex, or you, you might call it a vector, and it's like the uh, swirly pattern the uh, shrinking concentric circles that you see at the beginning of the Twilight Zone, the sci-fi drama from the 1960s. And you can see a little bit of that on the front cover. I sent you that. I don't know if we'll be looking at the front cover, but uh, you can see the outer uh, edges of that vortex or vector when you look at it. So that's curious. I won't draw too many conclusions, but one of the things is the basic premise, the CDC is involved. You have DHHS, Department of Health and Human Services and the Texas Health Authorities, as well as USDA and 4-H on the version that I have. And the idea of being a detective means that you question everyone and everything. If you're going to be Columbo or Sherlock Holmes, the premise is that they learn everything from the CDC and thou shalt not question the CDC. And you only question things based on what the CDC told you. So right away, you're not a real detective. You're simply a, you know, a G-man, you might say, in, in waiting or a G-man in development for the government. Uh, you know, you're you're under their tutelage. So there's a, a flawed premise right from the start. And so from there, if you have a flawed premise, then the rest is just built on sand. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. The CDC, of course, has taken a hit the last few years, uh, as has National Institutes of Health and we could go right on down the list with the alphabet uh, of, of three-letter agencies that have taken a hit. And I guess their attitude is, I've got an idea. Let's put out a graphic novel. That'll help. Um, <laughs> it seems a little bit uh, far-fetched and silly. And I could imagine, Mark, what the response would be if, let's just say that President 47 is Trump. And he puts out a graphic novel from the CIA, maybe. And that is, how do we detect swamp creatures? How can we drain the swamp? How do you think the media would would respond to that? They would go bananas if he were to do that. Uh, yet they, they, they applaud the CDC uh, for propagandizing children. It's... Um, I don't think it's going to work is what I'm saying. Is this going to work? Is this going to move the needle and make the CDC a little bit more believable? Well, that's what's curious about it is that they're aiming for a particular demographic, teen and preteen, because I think they understand that anyone older than that, they've largely lost the propaganda war, or at least they <laughs> haven't won it. So now they've got to shoot for a vulnerable demographic that can be seen as turnable or um, manipulable. And so they're shooting for that demographic specifically. So in that sense, it's good news. Anyone older than that, I think they've kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, look, it's not looking good out there. The TNTs of the world and the UK columns of the world have kind of, you know, got our number. 
the jig is practically up, right? So we've got to aim for this particular demographic. And one of the th one of the things that's curious about it as well, and I think based on what I just said, it's probably going to fail, but it shows a sense of desperation, in my opinion, on their, their end. But one of the things that it shows is that they want us to think of fighting germs as a war. If you look at the actual content of this document, um, the teens imagine themselves as medieval warriors and it shows these kind of scenes inside the uh, comic book magazine that this is and so we all have to not question because that's the enemy that's the enemy coming over the hill it's not time to ask too many thorny questions it's time to be all for one and one for all and fight the common enemy of pathogens so they're really trying to bolster the germ theory of disease. We all know that that's only one way you can get sick. Contamination of the food supply, some of it deliberate by big corporate uh, entities is another. Uh, the, the vaccines themselves, because uh, one of the worst corporate entities is, is Big Pharma itself. So um, this is the ethos of it. We're all in this army together. Uh, questioning things is out of line. You know, you're you're going to be uh, like a private having their their stripes ripped off your uniform if you ask too many questions. So go along to get along. Believe what the CDC tells you. This is war. Get in line and fight it alongside your fellow man. That's that's yeah. the basic entity of it. And another thing I'll add very quickly is that it also shows ridiculous little side items like one guy actually breaks in a lab and the germs are pictured as these drooling marauding creatures behind him they don't look like germs at all they look kind of like praying mantises and they chase this guy into a government lab and he says ah finally and he takes without questioning what it is without knowing what it is he takes a flask like like you get out of a lab a, a glass flask and just drinks this government potion down like you and I would drink, you know, Hawaiian punch or Kool-Aid or something or iced tea. And so th this idea is, oh, there, there's a government, you know, concoction. Just just drink it unquestionably. And these marauding, drooling beasts behind you representing germs will all go away. Mm, talk about drinking the Kool-Aid there, Mark. My goodness. <laughs> Um, we will you know, ask some questions. <laughs> yeah, this idea <laughs> of uh, germs and subatomic particles as something our society needs to be at war with is something I'd like to expand on after this brief headline right here at today's News Talk TNT. Great news. The news. We have news. Great news. Great news. Great news. Great news, my friends. Yeah. Listen. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. In the wake of special counsel Robert Hur's report, which disclosed significant concerns regarding President Joe Biden's cognitive abilities, Republican officials are advocating for the invocation of the 25th Amendment, arguing that Biden's reported mental decline renders him unfit for presidential duties. Federal police agents conducted a raid on the home of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro on February 8th as part of a wider investigation into an alleged attempt to overthrow the rule of law and stage a coup to keep Bolsonaro in power for political gains. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Dot live.
All right, this idea of germs and subatomic particles and viruses as something that we have to be at war with is uh, is one of the, the things that really holds me up about a second Trump presidency. He's the one that brought that talking point to the forefront. He's the one that said, I'm a wartime president. And he still hasn't even mentioned that I've flagged up yet. Uh, the fact that the EUA, the emergency use authorization, is still active, that seems like it would be an open goal for his rallies to say, you know what, I was wrong to call this something we need to be at war with. It's wrong that the EUA is still active. It's wrong mm. that mRNA shots are still being pushed. And he's not doing that. So that that is uh, my primary holdup for uh, you know, my uh, hesitation for any for supporting Donald Trump going forward. But that remains an open goal. Maybe he'll take it, Mark. Um, but don't you think, Mark, um, that's interesting? And also just the lazy tactic of the CDC here and their partners using derivative content from our current weak mythology, which is superheroes and supervillains. Yeah, it, it is a, a pretty pathetic thing if you really look at it. Like I mentioned earlier, it, it does indicate, in my opinion, uh, a sign of kind of losing the narrative. So they're aiming for a demographic that they think uh, will enable them to save the day from the CDC's point of view and not altogether lose the narrative. But yeah, you make a great point. You know, there's kind of a weird parallel between the authorization to use military force an emergency use authorization. One is the military, the other has to do with medical, but both have the same ethos that you're you're a private in the ranks and you don't question the basic orders of the general in the war. And in the in this particular booklet, as I mentioned, some of the kids have these brief fantasies as they come along out of that county fair. And these fantasies project these ideas of being medieval warriors, kind of like the time of Joan of Arc, for example. And uh, it shows that unquestioning ethos, follow the CDC, they're the real detectives, we're just the, you know, deputies for that sheriff, you might say. And it's it's a lot of uh, twists and turns in the book, but it with that vector on the back, that vortex on the back, I can kind of show that. Um, uh, yeah. it, it does indicate kind of a psyop uh, undercurrent to it. Uh, again, I won't jump to too many conclusions on that, but no one's really talking about this. And I wanted to bring it out today to uh, accent it because I think it might also indicate, Brian, that there might be more tools in the tool chest. And with the um, WHO, WHO pandemic treaty and the international health regs shooting for a May 27 deadline to try and roll out that treaty, I understand they're behind, probably. They're probably not going to make that date on the regs or the treaty. I'm not totally sure. But the timing is curious that they might try and ratchet things up with this booklet and maybe other ways we haven't seen yet to try and prep everyone they can, especially this demographic, for what could be the next pandemic. You know, they've talked about bird flus. They've talked about fungus. They've talked about all these candidates, JN1, and of course, disease X, the uh, ubiquitous disease X, you know, who will it be? What will it be? So this, the timing of this is maybe one of the most important things to look at. Yeah, I'm, you know, it, we call it a graphic novel. Back in my day, we called them comic books, but whatever, it's graphic a, novel. Right. I'll go with it. Okay, it's a graphic novel. Please tell me somewhere in the book, uh, there's a drawing of Fauci in spandex with a cape, or maybe maybe Tetros wearing uh, shining <laughs> armor. Um, it's it really is. It, it's pretty sad. Let, let me ask you this, and I don't know. I've, I've 
done a little bit of research on it uh, to the extent that I could prior to the show. Is this graphic novel comic book going to be distributed to public schools? Is this going to be, in other words, you say, well, they, they've lost the young adult to adult group. We've, we've, you know, if, if you're a, a gen, maybe even a gen X up to boomer, you've kind of said, ah, screw the CDC. They BS me. I lost my job. I lost this, that, and the other. Um, right. But, but, but that, that would, that would kind of uh, mean that the parents as a parent myself, I would say, you're not reading that. So are, are are they giving this stuff to public schools and going to be distributing it that way? I don't know the total answer to your question. I found this in the local public library, and it was in a big stack next to all the tax forms that they put out regularly. So it's for Joe, everybody. When you go to that table, that's for Joe and Josephine, everybody, Joe Q Public. That's where I found it. I'd like to ask a few more questions about the local school system and and find out i'll let you guys know but i would think tentatively the answer would be yes um there might you know parents would obviously see it at a public library but if it went into the schools that it might slip past most parents uh, as busy as they are these days oftentimes so uh that's a very good question yeah, yeah. um you know the fact that it's in public libraries uh makes me wonder you know is it is this is there like a propaganda section in the public library is it sitting there <laughs> next to all the um lgbtqia books and trans books for uh little kids and the drag queen stories you know mark i mean or is the entire library just a propaganda outlet now you know that's an excellent broader question public libraries are really in a sad state for the most part i've been going to them for years uh pre-internet i'm old enough a little bit to be pre-internet and um most of the magazine offerings the vast majority of the newspaper offerings are really shallow a, a lot of the same you know um uh, cosmopolitan and all these um uh, puerile kind of rags like that are stocked liberally at these libraries when you can buy them at the grocery checkout why put them in our tax supported public library do we really have to have cosmo and tv guide in there can't we have a little more intellectual enrichment can't we have opposing different points of view i thought this was this great democracy you know and it's very left-wing for the most part most library boards are quite left-wing there's minor exceptions um but uh, yeah, it's kind of no surprise in that sense that libraries are stocking them because libraries certainly aren't what they used to be. And uh, you have to look far and wide to find a decent one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know what? The problem with it, too, is kids don't go to libraries anymore. Their library is Google. There's their library. And of course, we know who runs Google. I mean, it really, you know, when you look at it from a 35,000 foot perspective, we've got a big fight on our hands. Not only do we have to take on crap like this from the CDC, but we've got to take on the libraries. We've got to take on public education. We've got to take on Hollywood. We've got to take on the media. And then, of course, there's the actual government. Uh, it does seem rather daunting, but when they when they kind of kick themselves in the crotch with this kind of stupidity, thinking that people aren't going to pick up on it and go, well, wait a damn minute, what is this? They can't even admit to the mistakes that they made during COVID. That's what drives me so nuts. Nobody has lost their job at the CDC, uh, forcibly anyway, uh, since this. Fauci resigned as a hero. 
Boy, how much work do you think it's going to take, Mark, for us to kind of get this nation back on track? I mean, I know that's a big question, but, you know, you have to eat an elephant, you know. All I can all I can say is that what you're saying is our institutions that should be working in our favor are not. And we have to kind of go back to the drawing board and reinvigorate these very institutions. We have to be kind of our own library, our own healthcare director, our own, you know, basic self-protection of 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 your hearth and home. Uh, our institutions are largely failing to do the most fundamental things. And and yes, why would the CDC think that anyone thinks it has the credibility to believe this and think it's going to do any good? I mean, the very fact that they put this out, they must think a lot of themselves that that they would assume that people would take this seriously. And with with all the teens and the young people using Google as their library and their cell phones as their alternate universe, I really can't see them reading this. You can get it free, the whole thing, on the CDC website, or you can go to these other websites and they'll sell it to you for $15. So <laughs> why would you pay, pay 15 bucks when you can get it free from your public stewards at the CDC? Wow. You know, looking at the the graphics involved also, Mark, I can't help but notice, again, lazy derivative tactics. As you've pointed out on the back, we've got the hypnotism symbol. That's a that's a big <laughs> red flag right there. And the front cover is a mashup in in my analysis. The front cover is a mashup of Nancy Drew, The Hardy Boys, and Stranger Things, the very popular net, uh, Netflix uh, program that is, you know, widely applicable to uh, youth and adults. So, uh, you know, it's the the laziness of this is is staggering. The amount of uh, stolen derivative artwork and themes is uh, laughable, and you know, I just don't see. I don't see young people picking this up over something, you know, they would pick something up from Marvel or DC or, you know, if they're really astute, um, you know, readers of graphic novels and comics, you know, they're going to go to some of the imprint brands, the off brands that do edgier things. So I don't even know if they can uh, really convince many people with this mark. Um, and uh, your thoughts on that. And then maybe we'll close with, um, any any further updates you might have on the pandemic agreement? Um, briefly, we got to let you go pretty soon. Yeah, well, um, one question that's not totally answered when you look at the beginning of this booklet is who actually created the graphics, the cartoons, and wrote the storyline. There's acknowledgments uh, of 4-H, NIFA, USDA, CDC subject matter experts and contributors, kind of a list of consultants. But there's no clear indication as to who actually did the artwork and the overall storyline. So that's a little bit of a non-byline right there, which is probably AI. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were AI generated, say, draw this picture in, you know, this this in the theme, uh, in the style of Stranger Things and Nancy Drew. It very okay. well could be. And I, that would be something worth knowing because it would tell you something more about the mindset of the people who are listed as consultants. Now, um, I think with the time we have, the most constructive thing would simply be to say that um, the um, World Health Organization, the Working Group on the International Health Regulations and the inter inter Intergovernmental Negotiating Body and the World Pandemic Treaty are having a bit of trouble reportedly according to James Roguski and there's a good there's a good interview with James Roguski for more details on this at ukcolumn.org check that out but they're having a bit of a a row over there in finalizing the language and agreeing on things 
things are kind of going back and forth. They've cut some corners. Um, they've they've tried to kind of uh, break some of their own rules or at least bend them in terms of the procedure. Um, so they're trying to slap something together uh, by May 27 for that treaty or instrument, whatever you want to call it, or agreement. Um, I think they're probably going to um, fail to make that deadline. However, um, James Rogowski is saying that they're kind of putting in tentative documents to make it look like they're making progress when, in fact, all they are is preliminary statements and they're not as solid or complete as as they give indication for. So they they may be, you know, kind of putting on a bit of a, a, a show there to make it look like they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's when what they're really doing is cutting corners. All right, Mark Anderson, thank you very much. We always appreciate your insights here at State of the Nation. Find Mark Anderson at UK Column, Alternate Current Radio, Republic Broadcasting Network, and other fine outlets like right here at Today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, because I'm doing a climate roundtable tomorrow. I'm assuming that the network that invited me on is probably the only network that's left around this part of the country that actually allows climate skeptics to be on. It'll be interesting because I'm sure there are going to be some people there to challenge me. In any case, when I walked into the hotel, the person at the front desk was from Adelaide, Australia, the city of churches. See, I learned something, right? And I got to thinking that maybe tomorrow I will spring on the people that are there for almost unprecedented climate events that have occurred around Australia that are very, very important around the climate. Now, not directly with Australia, but north of Australia, the typhoon season, despite the fact that we supposedly had an El Nino going, was way, way below normal. Third lowest ever. That's very unusual. And that was the first hint that this El Nino wasn't what it was cracked up to be. As a matter of fact, the Southern Oscillation Index, which is the longest running metric of the El Nino, never got into El Nino category this year until now. But that was unprecedented when you had what we call the Oceanic Nino Index being so strong. That's two unprecedented things. Number three, the crash that is occurring in the Southern Oscillation Index is going to be the greatest on record from January to February. In fact, it may be the greatest on record from one month to another. It is unprecedented to see January with an above SOI and then February crashing the way this is. Now, in 1978, we had a weak El Nino going and then it crashed in February. By the way, they had all those floods in Los Angeles in 78. How about that? The fourth thing, the unprecedented warming of the ocean just to the east of Australia in a month or two. See that? Tonight's climate and weather watchdog was all about Australia. It's because I ran into someone from Adelaide. This is TNT Climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. You're with Brian McLean and Steve Hook and State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation. Uh, Hesher, let me ask you a question. Did you know that Italy had a king? 
I never knew that Italy, I, I never knew that Italy had a king. Well, Italy did have a king. They had a royal yeah. family, in fact, uh, from the mid-1800s up until 1946. So shortly after World War II, uh, I, I, you know, I guess El Duce put an end to that. But we'll find out because our next guest returning to the program, Kent Heckenlively, has a new book out called The King of Italy. Does sound fascinating because I, I think a lot of people don't know about it. Let's welcome him to the show. Kent, hello. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Welcome back to State of the Nation. Uh, and you're breaking some news here. Italy had a royal family once upon a time. Italy had a royal family from 1860 to 1946. Uh, it was ousted in a democratic referendum, not by Mussolini. They, they, they got ousted because they'd been kind of close to Mussolini, but they had switched sides in the war, but it was still very controversial. So I put that story into the King of Italy. It's a story that takes place between Sicily, Italy, and America from about 1908 to 1946 with a flash forward to the modern day. Um, and actually, just recently in the news, um, Reuters reported that the son of the last king of Italy just died last week. He was 87 years old, Vittorio Emmanuel. He was the firstborn son of Umberto II, the last king of Italy. So this is something that reverberates into the modern day. Now, well, now how does yeah, and 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 how does this relate to now in 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 your book? It's you say it covers events in Sicily, Italy, and America. Um, expand on that a little bit so our American audience can kind of figure out where they fit in. Well, one of the interesting perspectives I think we have in the United States about World War II is that it was mainly a German problem. We focus on Adolf Hitler, but Adolf Hitler was really inspired by Benito Mussolini, who was in power from 1922 to 1945. So I thought that was, a, given my, my Italian background and you know family stories that I was related to uh, the royal family in Italy, the stories that when I investigate, I, I don't believe, I don't believe I do have a connection to the royal family, but I just found the story so interesting. So I said, could I create a story between Italy and the United States and, and maybe move the story, you know, away from the Germanic Hitler side of the story to the fascist uh, Mussolini story and the Italian story, and also play around with the American immigrant story. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of The Godfather, except for the fact that it's an evil book. Um, and I, I've always found myself more attracted to like Dostoevsky's and tri crime and punishment. And so I thought, can I take some of those elements that I've always enjoyed and create a, a, a bit of a different story, a more hopeful story, but something that will, will also open people's mind to the fact that ideas really do rule history. And, and we got to get straight in our minds, you know, what we intend, what our philosophy is, because if corruption is, is so easy, I mean, corruption is the easy thing to do. And so if we have systems of transparency, if we're good in our hearts, then that is better for the world. Yeah. So it sounds to me like this is kind of a, uh, 
uh, the king of Italy. It's a novel then, huh? Yeah. So, so you know, I, I create fictional characters that which interact with real events. And, you know, it's it's just fascinating. The, his, the real history of, of not only Italians in America and, and how people like A.P. Giannini uh, created the, the Bank of Italy, and which then became the Bank of America, um, this idea of, you know, groups of, of individuals helping each other, this idea of American capitalism, which was so wonderful for the immigrant communities. And, and then the question of capitalism is, are we wolves or are we shepherds? And so I, I really think that capitalism has to be informed by morality. And, you know, we've, we've seen capitalists who are heartless and we've seen capitalists who've done re really amazing things and, and tried to benefit society. So I thought all of those ideas I really wanted to play with and also the question of what's, what's in the human heart. And, and I really believe that character determines destiny. And so I, I wanted to play with that idea in this book. I like that concept, you know, because um, one of the things that I've been very interested in is this idea of appreciative inquiry. Um, and that basically means when when analyzing something, whether it's someone's character or perhaps their job performance or a political concept, um, you're looking at what's working well. And it sounds to me, I'm going to have to order a copy, but it sounds to me like that's something that you're doing with your characters in this book is, you know, you're taking a, a, a tumultuous time in history and the characters that you're highlighting rather than being ambiguous in in morality it sounds like you've got some characters in here that are highlighting the human spirit you know highlighting what actually worked well am i correct in uh, my assessment there yeah and also you know understanding that we live in a snapshot in time and we may not know the you know the results of our actions and so one of the things that history has done has really been very unkind to the Italian monarchy because in 1922, when Mussolini was marching on Rome, the, the Italian monarchy capitulated to him. And, you know, that, that really gave them a black mark. But, you know, this was four years after the devastation of World War I. And, and you know, so you have to have some subtlety to, to your analysis. You know, it wasn't necessarily that they were, um, you know, cowardly. It was that they didn't want another bloodbath like they just had. And, you know, nobody stayed long in Italian politics anyway. So, you know, give a, a little bit of um, understanding to this idea that they thought, OK, we'll let Mussolini in and, you know, he'll last one or two years and then we'll be on to the next, you know, leader in Italy. Well, it didn't happen that way. Uh, but I think it's it's important to understand that subtlety. I mean, you know, when I was in college, I had a choice between uh, or after college, I, I was an English and political science major and, and I had a, an opportunity to go into politics. And I thought, gee, I don't like the, you know, the good guys and bad guys, you know, element of politics a great deal. There's subtlety to things. And so, uh, you know, after 15 books that are nonfiction, you know, where I'm kind of on a side that I want to do something with a little bit more depth, a little bit more subtly, a little more shades of gray. And just, it, it's a fun story and it's a great ride. That sounds like it. Yeah. I'm gonna have to order it myself. 
I, you know, the, you said something a, a minute ago, Kent, that that, that struck me that it, my my ears perked up, uh, and that was when you talked about capitalism, and and, and you said, you know, you've got to see that uh, capitalism can be used for good or ill, and whenever people argue against capitalism, it's always the same thing, isn't it? Greedy capitalist, but communists are greedy too. <laughs> communist yeah. governments are very greedy uh so are fascist governments so i think it's such a, a a a cheap and easy knock on capitalism when what they're really talking about is crony capitalism or corporatism not necessarily free market capitalism um i i what i'm fascinated though too by is the fact that you said that the the royal family in Italy was kind of looked down on. Well, we saw what they did to El Duce and his wife. They hung them up by their feet after they shot him dead. So I guess it was. And Italian politics is still rather tumultuous, isn't it? I mean, it's not well, that and, tumultuous. And, but- and, and, you know, when I was doing my research for it and I said, you know, what happens to dictators? What happens to evil people? And I found myself saying, why does don't people know more about this? Why don't they know about the fact that the Italian people at the end of World War II were just sick of this and just, I mean, they went after Mussolini with a vengeance. And I thought, what a wonderful message that evil does get punished. I mean, the, the, the scene in Northern Italy where Mussolini is held up you know, by ropes with his mistress and and what the crowd does to their body is an image which will be forever seared into my brain whenever I worry that evil will not eventually get punished. I say to myself, evil does get punished. And I, I want that message to be out there in literature. I want it to be in stories like in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. You know, it's the it's crime. It's also the punishment. And also it's it's the redemption at the end of Dostoevsky's story. And I thought, God, that needs to be that theme needs to be in American literature. And I want to put it in there. Uh, Yeah, it's it it does need to be in there. And and we don't see it in our media either. You know, we don't see this in our history classes anymore. uh, You know, (laughs) Uh, we've talked to historians lately, yourself included, and and the state of uh, uh, identity politics being injected into history has really diluted a lot of knowledge and context that we have. So, you know, I think this is a great way to bring interest back to people with, wait, wait a minute, I didn't know that happened to Mussolini. You know, there are tons of young people watching this right now who probably did not even know that. Um, so yeah, it definitely needs to be out there. And if the people um, become more interested in that, in our final minute here, we got less than a minute. Do you think that the media will then come around and and you know what I mean? Is this an avenue to to change in your estimation? One of the things that I always say is that the public loves good stories. I, I think that there there is the traditional story arc which is a human being learns lessons and brings that back to the community. You know, Tom Cruise's Maverick, oh my God, how popular is that? You know, look at the Yellowstone series and everything. I mean, great, great storytelling. There are consequences to our actions. So I think anytime that good stories are given to the public, they show an enormous hunger for it. Excellent. Kent, 
we really appreciate we really appreciate you c- coming to the show today. It's um, kentheckandlivelybooks.com is the website. That's where you keep up with what Kent does. There's the book cover right there. You saw it here first on State of the Nation at today's News Talk TNT. Stay tuned. <laughs>